Welcome to Gotta Get Out of the 2000, a nice diversion from our usual routine podcast, where, yeah, this is Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective with another bonus episode. I am, as always, Elaine. I'm Fletcher. And I'm Adam. And for the first time in our podcasting career, we are talking about a pop punk record that's not from the 2000, and it's not old, it's new, it's from this year. And you might be wondering, are we talking about, I don't know, Brave Face Everyone by Spanish Love Song, which is a great record. We may be talking about that. Uh, maybe the new Hot Mulligan, which is also really good. That's, like, interesting to talk about. Like, very, very hard-hitting, very heavy, but also, like, very sad. Maybe we're talking about, like, state champs. Like, you know, they're fun, they're, like, nostalgic, they have some good tunes, or, I don't know, maybe... Maybe I'm, I'm from Europe, we may be talking about Marta, they're excellent, they're from Durham, they're, they do some good political stuff. Are we leveraging Fletch experience with Prague to talk about Prince Daddy and the Hyena, which made like this really interesting big like concept album last year? All of the things that we, we could be talking about if we were talking about modern pop punk, but... All of these bands sound so good. Which of them are we going to listen to, Ellie? We are not talking about those. What are we talking about, folks? Ticket to My Downfall by Machine Gun Kelly. Yay! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know where we did this. It's like the biggest... Pop punk has been in the mainstream public eye, like in the last couple of years, in the last bunch of years. And I wanted to torture Fletch. Honestly, like, I think that was my main drive for this. And I got dragged down with them. The thing is, you can never hurt me more than I hurt me. You suggested <laughs> this, and I went, oh, it's on. Yep. To, to be fair... I personally think this record is okay. I do reckon that you'll like it less than me. I don't think this is good. I think this is like a solid 2.5 out of 5. I think this is perfectly mediocre and sort of fascinating. Wouldn't call it good, but it's listenable. But I was pretty much expecting y'all to hate it, and that was extremely entertaining to me. Yeah. It gets thumbs down. So as, as something outside of Ellie's sphere of influence, that means the research fell to me this week. And what I learned is that Machine Gun Kelly is a human being engineered by an AI to make me mad on every level. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's a single part of his story that I found in my research that isn't just a knife twist. Did you enjoy Killshot, Eminem's diss to Machine Gun Kelly? Yes, I think the best part of it is Eminem just straight up murdering a man with a microphone. <laughs> 
Good. So I think I think we're at the point in well, first of all, does any of you have any experience with Machine Gun Kelly before this podcast? <laughs> One song. I only knew him as an actor. He was a what? He's been in nothing but terrible things. He's been in Beyond the Lights, playing totally not himself as the character Kid Culprit. He's been in things like Bird Box, where he was just one of the random people who got murdered by the Bird Box. He was the one who played Tommy Lee in the very bad Netflix adaptation of The Dirt. He's in King of Staten Island, best film of 2020, as Tattoo Shop Owner. This is a dude who only does the worst possible things. He's played himself in episodes of Catfish, where people were catfished, thinking they were talking to Machine Gun Kelly. But they they were talking to Machine Gun Kelly. Eventually. He's also had multiple years of arcs on WWE Raw. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he wasn't. But it wasn't acting, it was just like guest music person. Yeah, he did a WrestleMania theme. He's also apparently an NFL Network theme song creator. And everything about him is designed to get under my skin. He even worked at a Chipotle for years because of course he could. Why not work at an actual Taco Bell or something that a poor person would have to work at? He has to have the poor person tourism version of a poor person job. Adam, did you have any prior experience with Machine Gun Kelly? <laughs> One song. I don't remember what it was called. One more. This dipshit played a character on a show called Roadies where he's supposed to be playing a former roadie for Pearl Jam. He's 30. He would have been five when Pearl Jam had a career. If this preview of Fletch, Love for Machine Gun Kelly didn't entice you, I think we can move to Fletch talking about the history of Machine Gun Kelly because he researched it and he didn't give us notes, so it's gonna be him. Fletch, 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 Fletch. I guess it's just my life and I can take it if I wanna, but I cannot hide in hills of California because these hills have eyes and I got paranoia. I hurt myself sometimes. Is that too scary for you? Watch me take a good thing and fuck it all up in one night. Catch me, I'm the one on the run away from the headlights. No sleep, I'm a week wasting time with people I don't like. I think this stuff is fucking wrong with me. It's pretty quick because most of it is in a genre that has nothing to do with what we cover on this show. So, basically, the story of Machine Gun Kelly is this. Allegedly, he picked up his nickname because his rapid-fire rhymes uh, gave him that nickname. I don't really hear it in how he delivers anything, but I'll take their word. My dude ended up on a lot of MTV things, which makes me suspect there was a corporate sponsorship, especially given that he showed up on Sean Diddy Combs's Bad Boy Records pretty quick out the gate. He ended up working with basically anyone who was an experienced individual in multiple genres. Travis Barker, DMX, etc., Little John. There's a fun narrative through a lot of interviews and following the history of his career where he says that he loved DMX, Eminem, and occasionally a third artist, but it's always DMX and Eminem. And then 
all of a sudden, when he's talking about this new album that we're going to talk about today, he's only talking about DMX being an inspiration. Hmm. I don't know what happened. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah. But yeah, the, the guy is, he has this poverty tourism about him where he's constantly talking about how he got kicked out of the house, but clearly kept some ties based on all the legs up he got. And then he became a young father and suddenly became a hit recording artist with Sean Combs backing him and instantly segued into being the music for the NFL, the WWE, working with Linkin Park, working with Travis Park. Nothing has ever really seemed like a struggle for this guy other than perhaps Eminem publicly roasting him alive with napalm. And nowadays, he runs a coffee shop that seems to be anti-union in Cleveland, and it's named for the 27 Club, the urban legend about how all the good artists die at 27. Why couldn't you? Wait, we solved our problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's because he wasn't good. I get it. My dude has nothing to him. He is so shallow that the hardest thing he talks about anywhere on this album is, did you know I smoked weed? You date Megan Fox, no shit. The only thing that I wanted to add is that what actually made me interested in this record in the first place was that I actually really liked um, one of the singles from his previous record, which wasn't particularly good, the, the, the record, but what's the name? Give me a second. None of us can remember any of the names of the songs he's done. Oh, I didn't listen to much of the music other than this album. Yeah, I Think I'm Okay, which he did with Youngblood. So it's a pretty good pop song. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I'll... I'll bite. It's not amazing, but I'll listen an album of this. And this doesn't quite get there, but yeah, it's a good single. Here's the thing. My dude has collaborators who very much raise the tier of his work. It's especially clear when you listen to the acoustic version of a song on this album that has a second vocalist who carries a lot of the track. He has money behind this project. It doesn't always work in his favor. We'll talk about that. I think the production on this record really doesn't work. I don't want to call it bad production in that it's not incompetent production. It's very competent production in a record that could have used really incompetent production. It's too good for this record, the production. It's just not, it does not fit. Travis Barker is overcompetent. You heard it here, folks. It's incredibly petty because the track with Halsey, she seems weirdly auto-tuned at times. Like, they just turned up the suck knob to three. <laughs> okay, I think we should get into this. I think... Uh, we have 25 minutes of footage of us dilly-dallying around this record, and there is not much history. Well, there is history, but we don't care. Yeah, it's not our genre. The, does, uh, does Machine Gun Kelly ever mention in any interview prior to this year him liking like Blink-182 or something, by the way? Not that I saw. Okay. He he mentioned, oh yeah, I've, I've worked with Travis Barker on this latest album, but... There was never, oh yeah, I've been a big fan, love the genre. This record feels weird because it's 
it feels very passionless. Like, it doesn't feel like someone who loves the genre, but it feels, like, so polished and so, like, copy-paste blink stuff that I am not sure why it exists, because it feels like a cash grab from 2005, but in 2020, there is no money to be made in sounding like Blink-182. So what the fuck are you doing, Machine Gun Kelly? Right, right. Okay. I did reopen a couple of the research interviews. Uh, Blink-182 does come up in one of these, but more often he's mentioning Guns and Roses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then. The good version of a project like this, and I was mentioning this where we were talking of air, is This Is Where I Belong by State Champ, which is pop-punk band State Champ writing a song about getting into pop-punk as kids and then playing it with bands that they liked as kids. Like, they have We The Kings, they have Simple Plan on the song. And that song feels like, oh... This is people who like the genre making an homage to the genre. That's fun. And like doing it with people from the time. That that yeah, that's fun. That's like that's cool. Like you, you could argue that like some of them might be a bit like clinging to relevance at this point, but still, it's fun. It's it's cool. Like this feels we like the guests on this are weird. Like you have Halsey, which is there, I guess, because she's Machine Gun Kelly X or something. That's a thing that was big in, like, tabloid a while ago. You have some, like, slightly obscure mainstream rappers, like Blackbeard, who we will talk about. Doesn't doesn't have a great verse on this record. I haven't heard anything else from him, but his verse on this record is rough. And it's just like, I, I don't get it. I don't get this record. It's not even like a cash-in, because there is a recent trend of punk, pop-punk-influenced, like, rap stuff. There is, like, a whole emo rap thing, which I'm not a fan of, but it's super interesting. But this is not that. Like, this is really not that. And I am just baffled about why this project exists and why does it exist in the way that it exists. And I was hoping for you to shed some light on it, Flash, through your research, but nothing there. Everything I dig up just points more and more to this being some kind of over-engineered issue, because I had those tabs open looking through things again, and I saw an offhand mention that I forgot to follow up on of Machine Gun Kelly was going to tour with Linkin Park when their singer killed himself. And his tribute was covering their song Numb. So I looked this up thinking, oh, I'll look that, I'll listen to that later, and we can have that as a close to this episode, as me getting mad at that. But I discovered that he's been doing a bunch of covers in quarantine, and that's when I saw Song Request by Marilyn Manson. He wants to hear me do Rihanna. That's the kind of level of connected this weirdo is, where there's nothing in any way organic about these connections love on the brain rihanna cover song request by marilyn manson i'm looking right at it on his channel right now (laughs) those are words that you said yep (laughs) those are those sure are words that a human being could say (laughs) and my dude is recording from the fishbowl inside his mcmansion yeah so yeah that's what this whole thing is. Machine Gun Kelly is an over-engineered 
artificial... I don't even want to say edgelord, because that would require him to say anything harder than, yo, I was on the streets and I smoked a joint. Fletch, is Machine Gun Kelly a vocaloid? Is Machine Gun Kelly the Western version of a vocaloid? Yeah, probably. I'm going to say no, because that would require fans to do something with him. Also, kind of an insult to vocaloids, if you ask me. Tell me when we have Sakura Blossom Machine Gun Kelly, and I'll think about it. (laughs) So I will back up a second and say that the actual production of this album had a lot of roadblocks. Some of the singles and covers that are on the Target exclusive and bonus editions only are there for legal reasons. One track was yanked because he couldn't get authorization to publish it from Tom Petty's estate, who went, you ripped us off. It's called Times of My Life. I did not go looking for it since it was not actually on the album that I could see, but apparently legal challenges from the Tom Petty estate are why it's not on the album. Why? They said that the hook felt like they basically stole some of Tom Petty's music without trying to get a sample rights. Huh. A track that's only on the bonus edition called Body Bag features similarities to the Fallout Boy song Dance Dance, which they got a day prior to printing. And speaking of a day prior to printing, they announced the track list and cover art for this album in early September. Later in the day, they found the album artwork was basically traced from a photograph that nobody had gotten the rights for, so they created the album cover with him standing on a pool. And then they pushed him over to the edge of the pool, right? Yeah. Uh, He later said that he had signed thousands of copies of the album with artwork they could not release. I don't know if that's true, but it makes me laugh. (laughs) Ha ha. That's interesting. So much of this album appears to be a bunch of high dudes not talking to a lawyer and getting owned for it. (laughs) That sounds like what I would expect. It does make sense for an album that features Pete Davidson. Should we talk about... Yes, let's go to the album. Yeah. No. This album starts with title track. Question, you listen to the album on YouTube, Fletch. Yes. Are all the tracks named with lowercase letters on YouTube too? Okay, so that's a weird stylistic choice, but sure. That's an intentional thing. He thinks he's E.E. Cummings. For what it's worth, he seems to only do that for punk stuff with random exceptions because tracks he did four months ago on this channel, all caps. Tracks he does on this album, all lowercase. But then the single on the last one that kind of started this podcast or this project, also lowercase. Maybe it's just a mood thing. 
It could be. It's very weird. And again, I will drive myself mad if I try and figure this out, so I'm not going to. We need you sane. This is sane. That's the sobering part. Yeah. Alright. So, title track. Yeah. Literally named title track. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's his version of being clever. There's a lot of clever on that level on this album. This, okay, I, I actually like this track, I will not lie, but before I actually say things that I like about this track, I'm gonna roast one single thing about this track, which is, I think the worst line we've encountered that's not problematic, it's just really bad on this podcast, which is, um, if I was a painting, uh, I'd be a depressionist. That's just, that's just bad. <laughs> that's just, I... That's a dad joke, which makes sense, given that he's been one for about a decade. Yeah, I don't... The thing that baffles me about, like, this kind of big pop productions and, like, lines like this is that you have probably, like, about 40 people producing it, helping you write this thing, like, helping with marketing. 40 people thought that this was a good line that you should put in your I'm a bad boy and I'm really dangerous and I'm like cool teen idol record and this is a good cool line for you to have in there Rip. and it's like it'll make you really really cool and really like you know is there anything about this album that actually implies that he's cool it seems to think so it's not the weed it's not the like the uh uh alcoholism <laughs> Um, it, it's not the references to self-harm and suicide, it's not. <laughs> I mean, those, like, those things are presented in, in, like, a thing that makes them look, like, cool to, like, this audience. Which is what I have a problem with, Ellie. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I like this track. I like the title track. I think the intro is the best that his voice sounds because it's very stripped down and it feels like, you know, a Fredo Disco song or something like that. Like something very like raw and Honestly, and, like, the intro almost had like kind of a like a pop country feel to me. Like if he had put a little bit of drawl into his voice, like, oh yeah. So I listened to that, I paused it to mention to my dad, uh, I was like, huh. So far, Machine Gun Kelly's uh, pop-punk album is sounding like country. And I went back to listening, press play, and it shifted into something completely different. And I was like, ah, well, now I'm disappointed. I, I, I guess for people who are not familiar with uh, pop top 40 pop artist Machine Gun Kelly, we should mention his voice. Fletch, can you describe Machine Gun Kelly's voice? I think it very much sounds like reading off of cue cards in the delivery a lot of the time. <laughs> There's very little emotion in anything he does on this album. I call it out a few times in what I wrote down, and it feels... I think that first track does have something going for it, because, yeah, it's a little whinging, but it does stand out versus... When he's got those machine gun lyrics that I don't hear in his rapping, and he's talking like this. Yeah, he has a very, he also has a, like this very raucous, like, you know, just 
low voice it's almost like a way more acceptable and like clean version of um, Dickie Barrett from the Mighty Mighty Bostons not not quite as you know quite as not as energetic yeah and not quite as slow but that kind of like very quote-unquote bad voice where it's just like very deep very like clearly like probably like you know vaguely ruined by smoke or other things and yeah. very like not particular not a big range and i don't think that's a bad thing like i've seen many people kick on that like many people criticize that and i think that's a, like you can do good stuff with a voice like that there is a space for a voice like that machine gun kelly can't <laughs> yeah but in theory like i mentioned to you a fair that i think it would make a very good shoegaze record like you know just have him shout into a fucking effect pedal for like, you know, six minutes of a song, and I think you could have something. This record doesn't do that, but this first track is where his voice, I think, works the most, because it has this very stripped-down production that reminds me of, like, very, like, you know, very lo-fi emo tracks that you would see, like, in especially in the last couple of years. Again, I mentioned Fredo Disco, which I don't love, but I understand uh, the whole gist of that music and yeah it's like this really slow intro where it's just like vaguely emotional vaguely like production strips down and it works and you're like oh this record is actually quite cool and then it moves into a punk song like it's just you know as adam mentioned like it goes one two three and guitar fast and it's still not terrible like the production is still like a bit rougher than on the rest of the record so you've got a good balance with the vocals and uh, you know fast guitars and yeah i think like this this is top track of the record probably like this feels like an intro to a much better record i'll give you that i don't think it's my top track on the album but this feels like the intro to something better than what we get yeah that makes sense so with that, let's talk about Kiss Kiss. Alcoholism, but like sexy alcoholism. Yeah. Now, Ellie, you said the lyrics on the last one were embarrassing. This is the song that I think is easily bottom three of this entire podcast so far. I do not think this song has any line that's as funny as uh, I'd be an imp- a depressionist. Oh, I don't think funny. I think the fact that over 60% of the lyrics are the words kiss, kiss, or hey, you is tragic because the rest of the lyrics are kiss, 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 kiss the bottle all night or light up a blunt in a cigarette. Let's go. This is just I'm edgy, but only socially acceptable edgy. Yeah, I abuse of substances that are legal in most of America right now. There are, again, he played Tommy Lee in a Motley Crue biopic. There are Motley Crue songs from the 80s that go harder into drug references than this 
30 years ago. Yeah. Again, like, this is where my problem starts with the album musically, aside from what you say, which is correct. Also, you know, um, there, there's, uh, there are issues in romanticizing alcoholism, but, you know, it's rock music. They, they do this. But, and I will complain about it every time. Machine Gun Kelly has mentioned as this, like, very low, not musical voice. Which is, again, fine as a thing. I don't think there's, his voice is bad in a void. I think it can be used well. The production on this record, starting from Kiss Kiss, is super polished, super shiny, super crisp. Which doesn't work with the gargling nails voice. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Like, this is... It's produced like a very competently produced Top 40 record. His voice is not pop Top 40 voice. Like, this should be rougher. This should be, like, compressed to hell. This should be recorded on, like, a fucking toaster. <laughs> and it would be great. Because then you have, like, the, this, like, very, very, like, raw voice on it. And you're just like, okay, you're doing a punk thing. Sure. But this is not. This is, like, bubblegum pop. And it's weird with that voice. It doesn't really work. Bubblegum pop with sand in it now. Yeah. And what gets me about that is that everything about this dude's name is supposed to come from the fact that he does rapid fire rat a tat tat recital and rapping. And we don't hear that anywhere on this album, not even when he's trying to be punk. And the few rap bits sound slower than the Beastie Boys, who were known for their incredibly hard raps. Yeah. Also, there's a lot of na-na-na-na, and there is no, like, you know, na-na-na-nas are fun. They're meant to be able to, you know, you sing along them, you have fun, they're like the fun bit of the song. There is no fun in Machine Gun Kelly's voice in this na 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 na. I think those are the most dead na 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 I ever heard in a song. La 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 la. Hell, there's a My Chemical Romance track that is almost nothing but na 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 na, and it's one of the most energetic jams from that band I can think of. I can't wait till we get to My Chemical Romance. They're great. Uh, they definitely grew on me. I went backwards after that album solely because Grant Morrison played a villain on it. Oh, yeah, they're, they're friend with Grant Morrison, which is wild. It makes sense when you realize Gerard Way left the band to go into writing comics. I still have to read The Umbrella Academy. It's okay. The show was fun. I watched it with my grandma. If you want a better version of it, his Doom Patrol is a pretty good run. I am really scared of reading any modern Doom Patrol because I love the Grand Morrison Doom Patrol. Like, that fucking ending for the Grand Morrison Doom Patrol, like, gets me here in the heart. It's so good. It's a very good follow-up that doesn't invalidate anything else. Okay, it's not even for invalidation. It's just like, you know, is this as good as that? Like, you know, oh. it's just like... It's just like uh... I've seen bad Doom Patrol. I've seen bad Vertigo comics that someone followed up on. Remember the Animal Man run where his kid son was a serial killer in training for some reason? I do. The fuck? Oh, I haven't read that. It's not good, and it wasn't in print for years for a reason. I'm still young, wasting my youth. I'll grow up. 
blood next summer I'm back on those drugs I quit I kept my dealer's number I'm still young, wasting my youth I'll grow up next summer I'm back on that girl I quit I should've lost her number I'm overcompensating for heartbreak I swallowed a pill that was in a heart shape Her hands on my chest feeling my heartbeat Let's talk about Drunk Face this is the first thing on the album that has a music video out of five, if you count the bonus tracks. And A, this one is clearly shot not by a director, but by some guy with a phone. One shot is just him dancing through a window that they repeat over and over. It's like someone's filming from outside his house. The video has interludes where the song stops and you start hearing his uh, deep wisdom, which is really a thing that I wanted. And it concludes with a drive through LA traffic blasting his own music while hanging out the window like a real cunt. <laughs> I mean, it's the only word for that. I don't hate this song. I don't like this song. I think it's a near worm. I think that. Chorus is not good, but it gets stuck in your head, and it's repeated over and over and over. And by the end of it, you're just you just give up. You're just like humming it, even if it's not that catchy or that great. It just gets repeated so much, and it's actually like a good amount of catchy. Where you just over here, like surely this is not the song I think of. I'm gonna have to re-listen to that. I don't remember anything about this but i did write down he's trying to rap out a pop punk song and it makes this even more disconcerting it's it's weird it's like a mid-tempo pop rock song where he's halfway through singing and rapping and it's i would give it this it's interesting i haven't listened to that being a thing a lot it's not good, but it's not like this is this is Machine Gun Kelly trying to blend styles. It is still Machine Gun Kelly, so it's not great, but I I find this more interesting than when it's just straight up ripping off Blink 182. So I think the very end of the album has him go in directions that aren't just Blink-182 worship, and that's where I think it works for me. Yeah, I agree. But I legitimately can't remember anything about Drunk Face, and I don't know how much of that is that the video was terrible, and how much is that this is just a bland song. Also, look at the lyrics. I'm overcompensating for heartbreak. I swallowed a pill that wasn't a heart shape. She'll get attached, then trap me, then I gotta act like I'm happy. Like, that, that, that's going into the, uh-uh, some of our past foes uh, flavor of misogyny. Also, can I just say, this is the first time I've seen this in doing this show. Everything on Genius says that the lyrics have been verified by Machine Gun Kelly, which makes... All of the descriptions of the songs even funnier when you think this guy looked at these himself and probably gave it a thumbs up. Like, Drunk Face is the youth anthem. In the track, he sings about staying young and not caring about his relationship problems or the drugs he's been taking. 
everyone on Genius writes like an alien. Uh, my favorite, and I don't know if there's any of this on Genius, is when they explain a really, like, obvious reference. Like, on this page, I should have lost her number. Yes! <laughs> Kels is comparing drugs with a girl. He has made this kind of comparison several times in his discography. <laughs> I'm sure there's a podcast that is just going over genius annotations for a laugh, and I would like to listen to that because that sounds like an unending well of comedy. Anyhow, I don't think Drunk Faith is an amazing song. I think calling it a bland song fits. I think, uh, to me, it was a weird earworm. It was one of the songs which I don't love, but like it just gets stuck in your head and you're just like, yeah. It gets stuck in your head. I don't have that problem. <laughs> I do wonder if I would have taken to this differently without that video, because it's the worst video. Uh, the video is pretty bad, but, you know, that, that melody, like, na 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 it's, it's mildly catchy, and it gets hammered into your head by the song. How This is a thing that many songs on this record do, where it's just like, chorus, 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 verse, chorus, 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 verse, chorus, 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 ad infinitum. And that song that you just made there is better than anything on this album. <laughs> sure, but uh, I think this is the one that actually succeeds in making me making the chorus sort of stuck in my head because the chorus is not as bland as other songs on this record. It's still not great. Do we want to go on to the one that is designed to irritate Ellie? Really? Oh, I mean, I I am irritated by the next song, but it's also probably my favorite song on the record. Interesting. Okay. I This was the one I heard you griping about. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's go to Bloody Valentine. So, my main issue with this is just like a conceptual issue, which is, you're making a rock record, like you're not making a pop record, you're not making a hip-hop record, you're not making an EDM record, you're making a rock record. Rock has lots of subgenre and has a deep, rich history. You're making a song called Bloody Valentine, which, you know, you could make songs with similar names to other bands and not necessarily have them to be related, because English has only a certain amount of words and you cannot always differentiate stuff. But, you are referencing pretty much the, and I'm, I'm gonna state a controversial opinion, you're referencing the best rock band in history. Uh, well, you're not referencing, but you're getting very close to the name of like the best rock band in history, which is My Bloody Valentine. And you just don't do that unless you're making a homage, unless you're making a shoegaze song. Don't do that. That's bad. It's like making a song called The Beatles and it's like sludge metal. It's just like, no. <laughs> I'd listen to that. I, yeah, I would be curious. I'm not going to lie. You have just pitched something that I kind of want to exist. Collab time, Fletch. We're going to make this happen. You got it. Aside from that, this song grew on me 
This is the first. I think this was the first single from the record. Yes. Yeah, it's a good pop song. Don't have much to say about it. It's a good pop song. The chorus is fun. It's in, you know, it's catchy. It's fun. The production is still super shiny, and it's still sort of weird with Machine Gun Kelly voice, but they affect the voice enough that uh, you don't really notice that. This is like, if I, you know, you hear it on the radio, and it blends with a lot of other stuff, but it's still, like, catchy enough that it's, it's good. It's fine. I don't have a lot of stuff to say about it, but probably the song that grew the most on me of this record is probably a song that I would listen, like, just for fun, because it's sort of catchy. It is a song that I would listen just for fun if I want sort of something that's sort of forgettable in background at the moment, but I would still listen to it for fun. It's good. It's not terrible. It's a solid pop song with a good chorus. Weird video. Did you recognize who that was in the video? That was Megan Fox, right? Yes. This track and the video were how it basically came out that they were dating. I do wonder if that's his actual house this is filmed in or a McMansion that was rented for the filming, because I do not see the weird bubble room that he tends to film his home studio stuff in. Yeah, I learned enough about this guy that I can recognize his bubble studio now. I want to die. (laughs) Thank you. And the thing that gets me is the video starts with Megan Fox putting him in a bunch of pink duct tape, parading him around the house. And then she just starts twerking on the stairs for a while before she throws a hairdryer into a tub and kills him. Yeah, it's like a very uncoherent and needlessly sexy version of a misery. Yeah, I actually wrote down... You're failing to rob and or misery this dipshit, which is why you kidnap a star. (laughs) Yep. Also, I would love to see Megan Fox take the Kathy Bates role in a misery reboot. I think she'd have fun with it. Sure, why not? Also, also, this won an MTV Video Music Award last month. I'm tired. That's still a thing. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, Lady Gaga gave a great performance, worked the masks into the routine for her dancers, and blasted everyone who came out performing who didn't actually practice any kind of safe protection. No, Lady Gaga did a new record, right? Which I still have to listen to. I didn't like the single from that, so I didn't actually jump to listen to it, but hmm, I need to, I need to get to it. I'm not the largest fan of her work, but I know fans. I really love her first three album. I think they're exceptionally, like, solid pop. I couldn't do it when she went country. It's just like, uh... That's exactly where I fell off, too. Funny how that works. But yeah, Bloody Valentine. The actual the good bit of the record of the song is the In My Head, In My Head, which works really well with, like, his, like, weird voice. Like, that bit is a good bit of songwriting. That's a pop hook, if I've heard one. Like, that just gets gets in your head and, like, helps you recognize the song. And, like, it works well with his voice. You know, it uses his voice to an effect. 
and it's just like it's a very striking bit of the song the um, bridge on the song is sort of interesting because they do the sort of marching band drums that Fletch hates this song has a lot of like tiny details in the production and the playing that make it quite good and like listenable and that's the as to my remembrance, it's the only song that has like all of these tiny hooks and ideas going in. It feels like it's the only song where people gave a shit about writing. I don't. I, I think it's a pretty fairly decent pop song, but this song feels like the producer went, "Okay, this is our single. Let's make it a real song," and it succeeds. That's good. So, the reason for that is probably because of the fact that this is the track that was written with an actual poet and rapper, and none of the other ones were. Uh, Modson is the person who came in on this one and did the lyrics. Oh, interesting. Yep. This version is still much better than the acoustic one, as by comparison. I will put it that way. There's energy here. You want me to forget you? Okay, forget me too. You tell me you hate me, baby. song that we are on is called Forget Me Too. It's the fifth song on the album. This one really makes it clear how poor his vocals are because the instant she takes over halfway in and starts singing some of the same lines and chorus, there's just a world of difference. Also, her vocals fit way better with the production. Well, except, like I said, tell me if you heard it. I think at least the first couple of lines, they turned up the suck filter on her just to try and tone her down to his level. It's like we auto-tuned her wrong as a joke. The most interesting part of the song is Halcyus on it, otherwise it's mediocre, it's a, it's a pop-rocky song, it's not even pop-punk really, it's just like upbeat pop song with a mediocre chorus and nothing much going for it. It's where the record starts getting a bit faster start playing at least a bit more on that punk aesthetic but not really i think she fits way better with the production but i don't know if it's the saki filter like you call it or something but her voice lacks some kind of oomph that this track needed there's not any level of punchiness and i'm not sure if that's healthy or if that's just the mixing Re-listening? Yeah, it does sound like they put a suck filter on her. It's Okay, cool. I wanted to make sure that wasn't just me just hearing things or a headphone artifact. But yeah, for a couple of lines, she sounds a little tin canny. Also, lyrically, this song is, like, very similar to the last song, except for, like, even not gooder. Oh, no, no, no. I can... I can ruin all the goodwill, even though I said this was one of my preferred tracks on the album. Lyrically... This is a pop-punk version of Picture, the Kid Rock Sheryl Crow duet. That's a song the two of them did that's about a dysfunctional relationship where the two, where he goes out and gets completely wrecked and she decides maybe she's gonna find another man for the night. You know, 
the chorus is, I put your picture away, sat down and cried today. But the whole thing ends in a very happy way. I just called to say I love you. Come back home. And this is that song. This is, oh, we had a long, tumultuous relationship, but we can get through this. We can be better. Mm. Yeah, I I have my doubts. Uh, uh, uh. You're the reason I punched a hole in the wall back home. Well, that's basically what the whole thing of that Kid Rock song was, except he went harder with it because Kid Rock says, getting fucked up on cocaine and whiskey. A country song went harder than Machine Gun Kelly. I'm not surprised. Yeah, he kind of comes off as like a, 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 a bit of like a loser that doesn't actually do any of the cool things he wants to pretend he's cool for. He is the musical Pete David with less My Dad Died in 9-11. I see. Uh, that was a huge part of his stand-up for years, because Pete Davidson's dad was a fireman. Ah. God, I fucking hate Pete Davidson. <laughs> Don't worry. We're, what is it? Three tracks away? Yeah. Well, let's work to get there faster. Yeah. I know is the next song and it's just Machine Gun Kelly saying all I know is that I don't know nothing for two minutes I don't think there's anything any other lyrics in here I know there's like a featuring by Triple Red but my brain only remembers that line over and over and over again and I don't and know the only part that he does say which is elsewhere on this is my label hates that I'm like this you know what? I don't think Bad Boy Records, who's had artists that literally killed people, is too afraid of you smoking weed and crashing a car. Yeah, I asked you this on the affair, but uh, I feel like you need to tell, say this again for the purpose of our listeners. Uh, is smoking weed, which is you know seems like the biggest achievement Machine Gun Kelly ever had, according to the lyrics of this record, he talks about that a lot and boasts about how much he does that. Is that still considered like cool in a America where you know it's basically legal everywhere to do so? Only if you're white, but <laughs> yeah, a if you're white like Machine Gun Kelly, it has never been cool to smoke weed because you could always do it. And B, these days, there are very square history podcasters who will talk about their dealer by name on recordings. It is so legal, and that's in states where you can still allegedly get arrested for it. No, that is so far the opposite of cred that it's astounding. The next song is pretty good. I don't know why it's on this record. I got in trouble the first time my dad saw me dance with the 
next song is one that I'm not going to go as hard on because it's apparently a tribute to his dead father who kicked him out of the house and the aunt who helped raise him who I believe is also dead. I like the song. It does not fit with the feeling of this whole record because it has actual songwriting. Like, it's decently written. There's a lot of, like, detail and, like, heartfelt, like, narration about these people. Weird, it has, like, this indie rock feel to it, like, slow indie songwriting feel to it. Doesn't have much to do with the rest of the record. I don't know why this is here. This doesn't fit with anything in this record, but it's good. It's good in a different way than other songs that I liked on this record. It's, it's a good song. It's a good song about, you know, people that were dear to the songwriter. I'm not going to roast it, but it's incredibly repetitive. And once again, when the lyrics get over and over and over, I start calculating the numbers. And this is over 20% the word lonely. He just feels really lonely about it all. Now, at this point, I feel we sort of know what we're getting in with the songs. There's a lot of repetition of words, but that's pop song for you. So many tracks on this album. Probably one out of every three are just him repeating the title of the track and then mumbling between it. Except this one ends with a snippet of recording of his father in his dying days, talking about Machine Gun Kelly almost choking to death in the woods. Yep, I liked it. Go ahead and criticize my life, you know so much about I will not minimize the fact that you counted me out Told all the bad news and left all the good shit out World War Three is the next track. It's a one-minute interlude thing. This one's my favorite. That's pretty good. It's like a, the fastest track on the record. It's so 2000 that I just started a live journal after listening to it. Um, yeah, it's a 2000 sort of punk pop-punk interlude. It was under a minute long, and then it was done. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's. this is perfectly paced. That's. It doesn't have a lot to it, but... It fits, it's quick, it moves, and it doesn't wear out its welcome. It legitimately just stops when it needs to. The lyrics sound a little bit like Trump, though. <laughs> you told all the bad things about me, but you forgot to say the good things. Damn it, when, you, when I see it written out, I can entirely hear it. At least make it look good while you're lying to me. God damn it, I'm trying to find inner peace, but it's World War Three. You're welcome. Yes, my Trump is an old Brooklyn Jew. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought this could have standard to be like a more full form song. I think this is one of the, you know, surprise. I like the fast punk song from the record. But this is... Legitimately think this is one of the strongest tracks. I like this enough that I think this could have been longer and been like a more formed song because it's a fast punk song and has like some cool... Melodic ideas, like when, you know, everything stops and it's like, it's like World War Three, and like the instrumental stop for a second. I think that's a really good like hook to like give you like something to remember from the song and like move you along through it. I think there are like a couple of tidbits of songwriting that are good in here. 
Yeah, you could have made this a longer song and I wouldn't have complained, but it's a good one minute interlude. I know the real reason why you want the song to be longer. Because that, yeah, be that separates us from the next <laughs> thing that we're gonna listen. You just want to put yeah. that much more difference between you and Pete, what's his face? Yeah. 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 Okay, wait, Pete, before we start, can you just give me some bee boops? Bee boo boop. What what's your alien name? Roger. No, I'm gonna be Kevin, dude. I wanna be Kevin the Alien. So the next uh, quote-unquote song is an interlude named Kevin and Barracuda, and I would just like I posit this. I am fully convinced, and you know, you can confirm or deny it, that the fact that a lot of Americans say that they find SNL funny, it's just like a big practical joke that they're playing on the rest of the world because I just don't get it. I like, I, ju I just don't. As the boomer of the podcast, I did watch SNL until three, maybe four years ago. Now I tapped the fuck out during the Colin Jost era of the show because he's a terrible head writer and the show has felt more and more toothless each year, wasting some comedians who are very good in other things, but the writing cannot do anything with them right now. There was a period when YouTube kept com recommending to me SNL skit and I kept watching them out of just like self-harm, basically. And this only led to YouTube recommending me more SNL skits, and this was from all of the eras. I haven't laughed once. I don't get where the fun starts. I feel they're all like... I feel even those who are like good comedic ideas just didn't do them to any effect. Like they either did too much or too little and none of them really worked, so I don't get it. I don't get SNL. And aside from that, Pete Davidson is on this track, and aside from that, I fucking hate him. Everything that I've heard about the person is like grating and irritating, and I don't find him funny. At one point, when he first started, I thought, this kid needs to tune himself up, but he has a lot of potential. And then he became a Kevin Smith tier stoner icon and I realized he was never going to try and that's when I wrote him off. Hmm, that's fair. Yeah, that, that seems accurate. Like, if you if you hear some of his stuff, maybe there's a there's a glimmer in there and it's like, oh, okay, he needs to work on his timing. He doesn't read the room yet, but he's also like twelve. And then you realize, oh, it's been over a decade and he has gotten more chances than almost anyone on the modern cast and clearly hates being there. And why would I give this guy any shot? Anyway, Pete Davidson is the Machine Gun Kelly of comedy. Yeah, so this kit is about Pete Davidson and Machine Gun Kelly talking about their alien names. It's dreadful. Moving on. Yeah, they're high and they're giving each other alien names. They're Kevin and Barracuda now. We're out. Concert for Aliens is next.
Okay, this is single. It has an interesting video. This is the funny video. Yeah, well, quote unquote funny. This is the Travis Barker center stage had a lot to do with this track song. Yeah, this is so 2000. It's a shitty version of Ben Folds' army, especially when he starts talking to himself halfway through. Are, are you familiar with that one offhand? Uh, not a fan. I know of Ben Fold, but I'm not a huge fan. So, Army is a track where he's basically looking back on his life. Uh, the chorus is, you know, I've been thinking a lot today. And he says he thought about going into the Army when he was young. And this would have been around the time of, I think it's Vietnam. And you know, this song starts with, well, I thought about the army. My dad said, son, you're fucking high. And the whole thing is just, well, I'll go join the army. I'll go write a screenplay. And the whole thing is, I clearly succeeded, but I had a lot of missteps along the way and never knew who I was until something clicked. It's a melancholy but kind of inspirational track. This is trying to be that, except you don't have the musical talent or lyrics of a Ben Folds, you have, I know that I'm immature, but at least I'm not a goddamn failure. Yeah, this is a, this is a Blink track. It's like a... On a this is literally a Blink track because it's talking about UFOs crash landing, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure we talked about that one on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. The second verse is straight up the kind of thing that's an army, where he's holding a conversation with himself doing voices... I heard you never graduated from high school. Well, the food sucked and the kids were awful. I know you wanted me to go to law school. I dyed my hair, pierced my nostril. It's over and over. It's sort of like emblematic that I know you wanted me to go to law school. I I, I pierced my hair and dyed my nostrils or whatever. It's yeah. one of the best lyrics on the record. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was awful. I thought it was awful. It is, it is one of the best lyrics on the record. I think that's the entire center of the Machine Gun Kelly experience. I had the connections. I could have been someone. And instead, I'm this. And still, that didn't stop me from failing upwards. Also, I cannot stress enough the sheer raw colors and effects on this video make it look like lazy town pornography because everything is bright neons. He's wearing a clown costume at one point and setting himself on fire. Fletch. He's wearing... Fletch! <laughs> what? What? Tell me I'm wrong. Especially when he comes out in the red suit with the overdone mustache and a Hank Hill ass. He's got a wide ass waxed Waluigi mustache in a cherry red suit and he's sneering to the camera and it looks like a porno version of the Lazy Town costumes. I just object I just object to everything. I don't have a thing specific that I object to. I'm currently just object to everything. And that's before the video stops for a minute to have a semen joke where he says and now my seaman, and he comes out in three sailor costumes. Oh yeah, I've seen that. That that joke has been done by everyone. That's this video. It thinks it's a comedy, 
but everything is just a lesser version of what you've seen before. Fletch, a viral video idea? Take that video, replace all of the sounds with the rabbit sound from the David Lynch shots. Ooh. Alternatively, replace all of Machine Gun Kelly's lyrics with the screaming of the rabbits from the rabbits cartoon. Yeah. Anyhow, musically, this is a medi- like this is a middle of the road blink song. It's not even a good one. Like the chorus is weak. Yeah. See, this is the one where I was just like, ah, well, I mean, I guess this one's all right. Probably because it sounded like Blink. Yeah, I don't think this is terrible. I think this is like, it's a middle of the road track. I don't hate it. I, it's weird for me that this is the single, but I guess they wanted to have a more pop punky single for the project. So this is it. This is what you get. The next song is my ex best friend. Hey. You know my ex, so that makes it all feel complicated, yeah. It all seems complicated. I read those texts that you sent to yours, but I'll never say it, yeah. I'll never say you walked it. in my life at 2 a.m. Cause my boy's new girl is your best friend. Act like you don't see me, we'll play pretend. Your eyes already told me what you never said. Third favorite song on the album. It, it is the most rap-sounding song, which I agree makes it fairly more interesting than others. I don't love it. I mostly want to note: is this the is this the one with? Uh, yes, Black Bear. I just want to point out: this is the one where in Black Bear verse it rhymes me with me with me with responding. I don't think this guy quite got the concept of rhyming words, but yeah. That rap verse is very awkward on this song. I, I'm fine with the rest of the song. It has a bit more of a drum machine sound, like an 808 sort of sound for the rhythm section, which is interesting. Again, I was expecting this record to go in a more emo rap direction, which doesn't, but this is the song that gets closer to that, and yeah, I don't hate it. It's not one of my favorites, but I, I think it's fine. It also helps that an actual rapper is doing things in the slow parts. And, um... This video is basically just a crappy version of the Cardigans' My Favorite Game. Just in the aftermath instead of in the moment, because that would cost money. I'm pretty sure the same shoot where they did this, they just took him out a little further into the desert and recorded the acoustic version of Bloody Valentine, where he just sits on a motorcycle in the scrub. Yeah, it seems like us from the same shoot, yeah. And then we move into Jawbreaker. This one is titled Jawbreaker. She tastes like candy star chaser. And she's not landing LAXs in Miami. Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker. What a kid. This is where 
they start playing a bunch of official visualizers in lieu of another video. But I hate this one because it's basically a rotating gif of his teeth for half of it. Oh no, why? Yeah. Because it's a jawbreaker? Yeah, and then you then you see a jawbreaker just like crunching and being hit with hammers and things for a while. But I've never liked jawbreakers. They're incredibly hard candies that are designed to be sucked on because they are like so compact sugar. They are sometimes like rocks. Yes, and they're also big. Yeah. Usually like baseball sized. All right, they they played a fundamental plot part in hit 2000 cartoon Ed and the Daddy. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Except for you can't actually fit the whole thing in your mouth. Hmm. Um, I definitely did as a youth, but I also did a lot of very stupid food-related stunts as a youth. Okay. Uh, uh, people that are planning on keeping their jaw, like, not dislocated cannot fit them in their mouth. How do you eat it if you can't fit it in your mouth? You just suck on the part that can fit in your mouth. So you're supposed to just suck on it for a long while. And in fact... So you have this bowl half sticking out of your mouth? Yep. Yeah. And usually, usually most people will put them in a little bag or something and just come back to it in multiple sittings because it's not designed to be done in one. That sounds like the most miserable sweet in the, in the universe. Again... I never liked these as a kid, but I would also go, how many bags of sour warheads can I fit in my mouth? Give me another. So I might be an idiot. I mean, we all have our, our, our small insanities, Fletch. <laughs> Anyhow, Jawbreaker is a neat song. I think this is what Machine Gun Kelly doing a pop punk album sounds when it's not straight up ripping off Blink. And yeah, I think it's a unique sound. At least on this record, and it's okay. It, I would love it if it was less polished to like nothingness. This could use a little bit of feedback. Again, this could use being recorded on like a ten dollar toaster. You keep saying toaster, and I keep trying to imagine. I know you can turn headphones into a microphone. I know you could turn a lot of the. I don't know how you turn a toaster into a recording device. I don't know. I think you can figure out a way. Ingenuity and punk spirit. If anyone's going to, Amazon will do it. <laughs> oh, no. Look, step one is to get a Rotom into it, and then it can basically do anything. <laughs> ah. But much like Jawbreaker, the next track has nothing inside. Oh. Can we talk about more about Jawbreaker? Because I have, like, one note for any of the other songs that are next. <laughs> this, is where the, this is where the record becomes, like, an empty void for Look, me. if you got something, feel free. Uh, I have a note for Jawbreaker that I don't know what it means, but I just wrote down Drone Pop. What? I don't what? know. Maybe... I guess, I guess it might be a reference to the fact that he keeps repeating the same thing over and over, and he just, like... He says the title so many times in a row, and he calls it a chorus. Jawbreaker! Yeah, I, I guess I was like, oh, this is basically drone music, but pop. Drone pop. I would be down for that. 
Amazon would also capitalize on that, though. I could not think of a single thing to write about it while the track was on twice. The only thing that I can say about uh, uh, Nothing Inside is this sounds like this late Blink-182 song. Like, the tracks that we had before were ripping off the good Blink-182 songs, where they're, like, fast and fun, and they're about, you know, bros being, like, immature and having fun. Uh, this one is like the bad Blink-182 song, which is like, you know, what's the song, I miss you, or whatever. This is like the slow, sentimental Blink-182 song, and it's just like, I didn't want to hear this from Blink-182. I sort of don't want to hear this from Machine Gun Kelly either. The most I can give you on this track is it does have one of my favorite funny annotations we've seen of the night, which simply tells us, that as he repeats, I'm running low on serotonin in these empty moments, serotonin is a happy hormone which contributes to the well-being and happiness of human beings. Thank you, genius. Thanks. Is that not funnier than someone over-explaining that looking dead into someone's eyes does not literally mean that either a party is dead? No, because that one makes me think of one of the single most horrifying and depressing uh, nights I ever had working at the liquor store. Oh no. Have you ever just had someone come in at around 1am with the deadest eyes you've ever seen, a mesh top that you can see everything through, look you dead in the face and go, I'll suck your dick for a pizza. (laughs) Cause I have. And she said this in front of four people behind her in line at 1 a.m., no shame, no emotion, and in a voice that gravelly. That hasn't happened to me for any number of reasons, but my condolences. I still remember it to this day very clearly. Well, did you have the pizza on you? I did not, and I did not put one in for her. Yeah. I was also not going to get my dick sucked in front of four people at a liquor store, so, you know. (laughs) I can't imagine why you might feel this way. Look, I never know with Alos, it's always like, you know. To be fair, I think 90% of the people who know me think that I would, so. (laughs) Do I need to readjust my assessment of you, Flesh? The alternative joke there would have been, well, did she gave you the pizza then? <laughs> there was some sausage, if you know what I mean. Ho ho! <laughs> yeah, nothing inside is really hard to describe anything about, because it's there. And then there's an interlude. Banyan tree? Oh my god. Did you drink a lot of tequila? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. You want to listen to the interlude while we sit here? Yeah. Let it on. Do you, like, remember this stuff that you do with me? Yes. 
Okay, I don't know, because you're so high, you're like, you get really drunk, so I don't know if you remember it. Of course I do. Okay. I cherish it. And I don't remember this one, but I can tell you that my one note on this interlude is fuck off. So I think that the little uh, conversation we just had was like 10 times funnier than anything in this interlude. All right. So here's the thing. The first skit is two high dudes giggling at their own cleverness because they're high. I understand why you put that on there in the tradition of plenty of other rap skits, and also because you think you're golden because you're probably high. I don't understand why you put half of a track that's unfinished after a conversation between you and your girlfriend where she's like, I don't know if you remember anything because you are high all the time. That's it. Yeah. Why would you put yourself on blast like that? Why would you be with someone where you have to ask them, do you remember what we do together? Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, I did not know that Travis Barker knew how to work a synth because he's credited with it on this track. You know, a little jealous. I could never grasp them myself. No, Travis Barker is a multi-talented individual who did some good production work on this record, except the problem is that he did it for the wrong singer because the voice of Machine Gun Kelly doesn't fit the production. And we close out the album not with a stolen Tom Petty track because of lawsuits, but with Play This When I'm Gone. I'm writing you this message just so I can say that I love you. I had to let you know that everything about me was you. Yeah. I think it's time for me to leave, but I'll never leave you. I just looked at your picture, so the last thing I did was see you. I'm 29, my anxiety is eating me alive. I'm fighting with myself. You know, I, ap- I need to apologize to AFI for saying that their lyrics are sort of trying too hard, edgy stuff. This is trying too hard, edgy stuff. AFI is fine. I don't think the band that doesn't swear is trying too hard as much as a Machine Gun Kelly. This is a song that we, you know, you'll remember me when I'm gone. I think, you know, Taylor Swift had a similar song in in her early career, which should tell you... Also, there's the Cup song, which was in Pitch Perfect, I think. When I'm gone, when I'm gone, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. Yes. Inescapable in high school. Yeah, so this basically means that you're not being edgy here with this team, and I hate that fucking India's mandolin or whatever that they have on the song. This is a slow folkish song for some reason. I don't know why this is here, and in the opposite direction that the other song that I didn't know why this was here. The, the other song was good, this one is bad, but still very out of place on this record. So, I'm going to shock you. This is my second favorite song on this album. Really? Yes. I think less of you now, Fletch. It's because, unlike everything else here, it's not, I let my guest star do their thing and I spoke. This is going for something, and it whiffs. 
but I also get the urge that led him here. I think there's more creativity in this track than on 90% of this album. And it's all from Machine Gun Kelly. So I'll give it that. I could see that. That's not how I judge music, so I guess there's a disconnect there. Like, I don't care who put the creativity in. Like, music is ultimately a collaborative, like, business, even oh, though certainly. the popular, you know, person is the one in front. So I like the I like Bloody Valentine because it's a song where, like, lots of people put work on there, and it shows. This is a song where... Not much thought went into it, and it's Machine Gun Kelly whining about fame being, like, bad. And he's like, fuck off, you rich twat. Funnily enough, I like the way this one sounds, so if I'm not looking at the lyrics, I'm just kind of like, huh, yeah, okay. That's the thing. It sounds distinct in a way that nothing else on this album does, with the exception of guest tracks where it's like, oh, Someone else's sound is here. It sounds distinct, but uh, I don't know. Not in a way that appeals to me. Like, that fucking mandolin is in every, like, fucking heartfelt mainstream indie song ever. And I fucking hate it. That's just, like... I've never heard that in a song before, so it's a personal problem now. I've heard Hey There, Delilah, so I know what she's talking about. I heard Hey There, Delilah is a better song than this. And that's very damning. Because that's not a great song. Yeah, no, this is not an amazing track. This is my. I will follow you into the dark. Is a better song than this. (laughs) This is amazing. At the very last track, you suddenly put on beast mode and begin roasting the album when I'm trying to defend it. Look, I I started a pop punk podcast. I didn't start a cheesy mandolin for indie like indie songwriters podcast, and there's a reason why I didn't. You keep saying it's a pop punk and emo punk pop retrospective. You brought this on us. No, no, I I, I refuse. I refuse to acknowledge any failures of my leadership. Hey, speaking of failures of your leadership. Informing me about the Misery Business cover bonus track. I mean, we all watched it, so we can talk about it. We did. I'm in the business of misery. Let's take it from the top. She's got a body like an hourglass. It's ticking like a clock. It's a matter of time before we all run out. Just she was mine, he caught her by the mouth I waited eight long months and finally set her free I told her I couldn't lie, she was the only one for me So we should be cut off fights, got it out for me I mean, the, the, the first thing that reminds me of, the song reminds me of Is that I don't hate this record, first of all I think I'm the person who liked this record most than everyone uh, I think this is like a fine record, it's okay, it's not great, it's not bad It's like middle of the road uh, But... Misery Business is such a better written song than any cuts on this record. <laughs> and that's just impressive when you just hear it at the end of the record. Like, Misery Business has a memorable chorus, has, like, some really good, like, you know, zinger lines. Uh, she's got a body like a hourglass is ticking like a clock. It's just like, oh, that's mildly clever, and I will remember this when I am this. 
has like some actual like energy to it, even though their version is it's not great. But yeah, just in terms of songwriting, you're like, oh, this is a song that there's a reason why this was popular and like this was everyone remembers the song because it's actually like a really well written like punk song. Now here's the thing. In a minute, I'm gonna listen to his cover of Numb because this track made me realize that I did know what Misery Business by Paramore was and this really highlights how bad his vocals on this record are. When he's not in the chorus, he sounds like he's reading off cue cards with the lyrics. When he's in the chorus, the most effort he can put in is whinging off the cue cards. And that's why all that I wrote are those two things I just told you, and the bassist has lovely nails, though. So much more aware by becoming this All I want to do is be more like me And be less like you Can't you see that you're smothering me Holding too tightly Oh no It starts with him taking a giant hit off of a joint And looking into the camera forlornly Oh my god Oh my god, he goes full Boston for the chorus. Bobby coming this, what I want to do is be more like me. And wow, he went full Boston. This is amazingly bad. This is a tribute to a dude he was going to work with. Oh my god, I just got to the part where in the background he has written on a whiteboard the word NUMB with a giant question mark next to it. <laughs> I'm not even watching this and I'm like gaining depression. This is the most marble-mouthed he has ever sounded on a song that does not have challenging lyrics or a high grade of performance to live up to. Yeah, I, I express my opinion on Machine Gun Kelly voice. He needs to be drawing really lo-fi emo shit, or like shoegaze. He's, I'm not, yeah, I don't know. I don't think he's playing to his strength. He sounds like Mark Wahlberg on this cover, and he doesn't anywhere on this album. I've become so numb. <laughs> How many special people change? How many lives to live is strange? Where we in while we would get high? Slowly walking down the hall, faster than a cannonball. Where were you while we were getting high? Someday you will find me. So we spent an hour talking about this Machine Gun Kelly record. What's your final 
verdict on this. I don't know why we did this. I think I, I, I was just being silly and we ended up recording a whole episode about it. What's your final verdict on Ticket to My Downfall? I think my take on it is that Ticket to My Downfall has the same energy as if you attended a fallen Bon Jovi concert where he's drunk on stage at the MTV Unplugged studio and he's crooning at you and only you in an empty venue. It seems very substance abuse is a personality trait and it makes me very cool and sexy. The album. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I think I like to throw this record as better than you think, um, worse than you'd hope. I think that there's like this huge disconnect between this like gravely weird like atonal voice and the uh, just polished bubblegummy production of the record. It it feels like the voice and the rest of the record have been recorded in two different universes and you know and somehow they merged into one being of weird existence. Again, I, I repeat my statement. I don't know why this exists. It doesn't... Nothing that Machine Gun Kelly sings seems to be very emotional, but this especially doesn't feel like something like a passion project or anything that like is really... You know, something that he really wanted to do to pay homage to like something that he loved. It is not. and But it also sounds weirdly like a fucking 2000 pop-punk record... And I don't know why you would do that. That's not a profitable thing anymore. Time travel capitalism. Yeah, time travel capitalism or something. I don't know. I I, I don't know why this exists. If anyone knows why this exists, send us a mail. Yeah, maybe that's deep machine gun Kelly lore that we're not aware of. Well, once Animal from the Muppets bleached his hair and shaved his face... He had to do something with that voice of his. Machine Gun Kelly! Machine Gun Kelly! Machine Gun Kelly! Machine Gun Kelly! Fletch, do you want to do the ending bit since I let you drive this? I think I will. And I mentioned earlier that I was going to be very gentle on Lonely, but we would come back to it. Uh, As part of my weekly What Should You Listen To If Not This, I'm going to recommend Poe's Haunted album from the 2000s, which both in the story of it and its aftermath and what caused it to happen are so much more fascinating than anything I learned about looking into Machine Gun Kelly's history today. Poe was an artist who some of you may know more if I describe her as the House of Leaves guy's sister. Uh, She's where the talent went in that family, I'm going to just say it. But she put out an album on Sony Records wherein a complete lunatic millionaire asked to buy out her contract, and Sony went, sure, she's alt-rock and you're offering us more money than God, why not? We don't lose on this. And he proceeded to hold her contract hostage for about a decade, where she did not want to make things just for this one lunatic, couldn't do anything under the stage name she had been working under, so she had to begin using her birth name or other aliases to collaborate with people to keep a music career going. And the sad ending to this is that when the contract eventually ran out, she put out one teaser for what was supposed to be a return to music that has not borne any fruit as of yet five years later. 
It's a very interesting piece of performance art that I will probably link to Ellie for the show notes. And I very much recommend Haunted because, like the end of Lonely, she discovered one day recordings of her father's lectures where he had been a college professor and he just recorded everything in the attic of their house were all these speeches, very dry, very scientific. And it was a side of this man who was not amazing to her before his death that she had never seen before. And the whole album explores how that makes her feel in both the rage, the acceptance, the grieving. It's very good. I would also suggest recommend something, and this is more punk adjacent, although it's not necessarily entirely punk, but I recommend the debut record by uh, the Chelsea Wolf side project. She does a lot of doom metal. I'm not super aware of her stuff, but I know her name. She does a lot of like doom metal and very like slow, like slow, like uh, spooky metal stuff. Uh, which is Miss Piss. And it's a sludge metal project. It's like super dark and sort of like gross and aggressive. And it's great. It sort of like fuses a lot of sludge metal and very slow dirge-like songs with some more punk influence. It's an 8-track 19-minute record. And it's really, 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 really dark and really interesting. I listened to it today and I was like, Huh, I like this. Perfect for Halloween, coming up. Or possibly just behind this, depending on the release date. I actually wasn't born in an Anglophone country, so I don't get Halloween. I don't understand it, but have fun, kids. Getting horny for Halloween, as the kids say. I guess you have to do something with the holes in the pumpkins. And for the ladies, there's the little nub on the top. Same song, different chorus. But that is the end of our journey into the future. And so as we head back to the past, next week we are going to cover Good Charlotte by Good Charlotte, I believe. And in the meantime, we do not have a Patreon. But if you happen to pay us enough, we will be happy to drive down the L.A. streets, hanging out the window of our car, blaring this podcast on loop. Is that more or less obnoxious than blaring out, like, really bad music? Oh, it's worse. I knew a guy who would get into Ubers, shared with people, ask if he could do the radio, and then just play old Mark Maron episodes. (laughs) Yeah, see? (laughs) That's hell! You're describing hell! (laughs) I told you I had the answer. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. I've got the time to stick around I'll catch my flight like a pop pumpkin and get out of this town What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down Let's terrify